cool. So, yeah, normally this is the part where I would like, you know, we would be having a natural conversation. I'd be like, ah, let's go. But you know what? We're we're already here. So we're here, dude. This is great. I can't believe this is real right now, and that thing is sitting in this studio, just chilling next to your leg like it ain't a thing. It's a. I get two reactions. It's either very interested or absolutely terrified. <laughs> when I when I messaged it to people as it was walking around, like I messaged a couple folks, and they were like, "What?" One person was like, "Is that your guest today?" And I was like, "Yeah." And the other person was like, "Those things are terrifying." I'm pretty shy, uh, so you know when I'm trying to show a friend, it automatically has a crowd that gathers around so that immediately puts me in an uncomfortable situation <laughs> but the good news is i can stand way back and control it and everybody's trying to talk to it right. you could you can walk away and vicariously operate through the robot right exactly <laughs> but people like carry on whole conversations with it and i just you know use the biometrics to you know make it look like it's interesting or look look like it's interested in hearing what that person's saying <laughs> hey man eventually it may carry its own little uh, kyle hologram right uh and uh, that's a good jumping off point to introduce uh my guest for episode seven uh another good good friend of mine um kyle rl baker and uh, his new puppy spot <laughs> this is WTF Carbonell, the podcast where it's all about interesting people and their interesting lives tied together to this lovely little place we call home right here in Carbondale, Illinois. Um, so the uh, the opening question usually goes to one uh, individual, but it'll go to two. Now we'll start with you and then jump to spot. How did you get to Carbondale first off? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> so my soon-to-be wife was at... Um, Purdue University working on her master's and she got an offer to work on her PhD here mm -hmm. um, and we, we had been dating a, a little bit less than a year at that point and it was kind of like well I'm headed to work on my PhD what do you want to do and I was like I was at a point in my life I didn't have any you know we don't have any children didn't have any you know real responsibilities I was like yeah let's do this nice. so we ended up uh, moving to car actually moving to Carbondale uh, this was in February eighteenth, two thousand ten, mm -hmm. uh, and then like six months late, six months later, we moved to Macanda. Uh, so. Have you been? Have you been in that same house ever since? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's it's good, man. The work you've put in on that particular barn and that plot of land, like if, if so many people saw it, they would just be like, "Oh, this is super cool, <laughs> and we should do way more of this." Like, right? You, you're you're one man band in putting together an entire you know yard it's farm. a hobby farm <laughs> you know it doesn't make money it's it's there for our personal enjoyment and yeah. uh it's worked out so far it, hey man nice. and if the world all goes to shit hey we're good <laughs> you're you're in a pretty good spot we're good we can have all the tomatoes and chestnuts and uh apples and uh, whatever vegetable we grow in any given year and you so. never have to worry about mowing the yard because the goats are there that was an interesting. It was a sheep, actually, but oh, everybody man. calls them goats. Uh, yeah, we have like three and a half acres, and, and it's all lawn. Uh, and it used to take me like four and a half, three and a half, four and a half hours to mow. Uh, then we got sheep, and my mowing time went down to an hour. So it was pretty spectacular. <laughs> uh, that's so yeah. cool. That's so cool. And then uh, the little fella you got there yeah. next to you. It's How conversation started for sure. <laughs> uh, and, and the funny thing, so it's, it's fascinating, but it's like, so this is obviously for work. This isn't like a personal toy as yeah. much as I would want it to be. <laughs> you don't just uh, go out and blow that much money. I mean, maybe somebody does, but maybe, not, yeah. not here in Carbondale that we go out and blow that kind of money on that kind of toy. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's really cool and it starts a lot of conversation, but it's actually like the least interesting thing that we do at work. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, this is Spot, uh, and this is from Boston Dynamics. Uh, <laughs> He's so. looking at the camera. He's looking at you. Oh right. my god. So you know, it's pretty. It's a it's a very interesting piece of technology and incredibly advanced uh, for what it is. And um, yeah, it, it's the talk of the town over the last couple of days for people that have seen it. Um, yeah <laughs> I, I mean dude it's just it's it is on the first episode i talked with ali quick uh from the southern illinois about 
Uh, I just I, like I'm watching this thing through my screen, watching you, watching everything. It's like this is this is the full circle completion right. of like the the <laughs> the Terminator technologically and like encompassed bubble that we will exist in. Um, and I was like, yeah, some of the first some of the first drone tech by by rumor of what I've heard was developed here in in Carbondale, really many many decades ago in somebody's apartment somewhere and it's like ah it's just neat to see some of this type of high level technology come back into town and get used for you know industry that is itself uh you know developing yeah Car- carbondale well. is is really a part of an emerging market and in, in many emerging markets and really a part of it and it's really not discussed all that much and it's it's so strange like um you know, we our company works kind of at the intersection of technology and cannabis. Uh-huh. So two really fun subjects. You know, uh, you know, we get to work with these guys and uh, <laughs> and working with you know cannabis or you know what everybody wants to call weed or you know whatever. But uh, there's a lot of science and problems to be solved. Mm-hmm. It's it's happening right here, but. There's not enough people getting involved in it. Yeah, it's there's so many problems in the cannabis industry as an emerging market, um, and there's just such a wide open space for people to figure stuff out. This is part of figuring stuff out. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, you know, cannabis, cannabis absolutely is a focus. But I I, I tell you what, I was really taken aback by. I had not been out to the airport in um, at least several months, if not a year plus. Right. It just wasn't some place that I was regularly going out to and and a friend of mine came back home and his mom used to work out there we drove out there just to take a look at stuff and like even in the short period of time since when i had been out there last like the constant change and development out there and trying to like will this tech park into place has really been i'm so surprised that the car i don't know what's behind it but i'm surprised that the carbondale airport isn't used more often um prior to the pandemic i was traveling every other week all across the country yeah i would have to go to marion Marion's a great town, but Carbondale for me is better. Don't t- is that going to be aired? I just, it's, it's fine. It's we already in there. It. You're stuck. <laughs> but you know, I would I would much rather go to the Carbondale Airport mm-hmm. than I would to the Marion Airport. Yeah, and I don't understand why there's not that that much traffic going through there. Yeah. Whether it's licensing or whatever, I don't know. Well, uh, you know, I, I and this is this is a good question i can't remember the gentleman who's been over the airport for years um i've, I've met with him several times I, I remember going through the first drone program that they did out at the airport um through the through the aviation school so i may just have to like hit him up and be like hey man you got to be on the show and like we want to know more about what's going on at the airport and here and there now i i would i would guess that because they do a, they seem to have a decent amount of private traffic out there they seem to have you know a lot of the training school stuff that that's kind of more their focus of kind of this all-encompassing activity of the airport and not just totally on um you know consumer air travel which is really where i think you know veterans airport and marion is it's much more geared towards you know they've got cape air in there which is you know a a reasonable medium-sized airline it's fantastic (laughs) it's a great resource for the community i mean i i think it's great but again me selfishly yeah. would rather go to Carbondale. Yeah. No. So I hear it. Yeah. I hear it. And I, I love I just love how ingrained you become in this place in the decade or so. I mean, we've legitimately known each other since near the time that you came to town, which is kinda neat. Um, you know, that that you know, this is you're another one of those people that came here and it just clicked. <laughs> you know, it, it it's um geographically it's a lot where I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, but a lot more progressive. Yeah. So where I grew up, uh, it was extraordinarily conservative. Um, didn't really fit that vibe too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved here, so it was. I, I had the woods. I had the uh, you know the forested areas down in, in Shawnee. Uh, we had a small city, uh, Carbondale. Uh, there was plenty of meeting places, and uh, really, you know, the university is kind of the you know, the economic engine of this area and you meet, uh-huh. you know, really intelligent people that are doing very interesting things. So it's like endless resources of information to go yeah. talk to people. Um, it was just perfect, really, you know, so. Well, and it, you know, this is, 
again, I, I keep going back to that conversation with Allie in, in episode one, uh, where she was like, I had a friend tell me it's like, you know, they didn't have to go out to the, the world. The world came to them. And I was like, I say that, Allie. Am I that friend? She was like, no, it's somebody else. And I was like, great. Lots of people right. have that kind of view as this being that place where everything can kind of just come here. Right. And co-mingle and coexist and just kind of comes together, right? And it's different than like a big city setting where everything kind of gets lost in its own pocket because those individual pockets are themselves big enough for people to just stay you know, walled off from others. But here, there's no one group large enough or one space large enough that people, you know, aren't already forced into interacting with one of those. So people have to connect. People have to engage and build that community, build across cultures, build across ideas, uh, you know, build across industry and, and you know, knowledge bases and all that fun stuff. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's distracting, isn't it? It's not distracting. It's just enthralling. I could sit here and talk oh. and watch it dance. Well, you were, you were talking about the, the airport and um, you know opportunities there. There's obviously a cannabis company there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, it's uh, I, they might get well. I doubt they would care. You know, ISO uh, is a Carbondale company, mm -hmm. really doing some pretty amazing things in, in the Illinois market. Yeah. Uh, we're, we'll, this this will be uh, at ISO. It'll be the first case in the world where we're doing um, we're, we're essentially teaching this robot biology, chemistry, and microbiology. Mm -hmm. The first case in the world will be done here in Carbondale in a uh, emerging market, you know, emerging market yeah. in cannabis at ISO. So that's kind of cool. Uh, that again, the community gets to be a part of that. Yep. You know, we're. It's fantastic. Well, so. and, I, and I've seen, you know, people just losing their minds at this stuff. The, the very first video that I saw, somebody took at the Small Business Development Center where, obviously, you, you, got, you got an office or you, you just hang out there. One of, the, one of the two, I can't remember what. Yeah, we're, we're part of the affiliate program. So, okay. like, we don't have an office. Um, and I, honestly, I never thought we needed one. Yeah. Uh, and if this pandemic showed us anything, we're all working from home. <laughs> And I was like, hey, we're right. You know, yeah. uh, it, it's an extremely underutilized program. Yeah. We basically had that entire building to ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have an office per se, but all the spaces were empty. Tons of resources, all kinds of like grant money that you can go and talk to one of the experts there. And they go, oh, yeah, you, you know, you, you fit into this grant. Here's how you apply for it and mm -hmm. all these resources. And nobody uses them. Yeah. I, I don't get it. And it's. It's a shame because it's, I mean, it's well subsidized too. It's like for people that don't have resources trying to get up and going with something, it's right. like, you know, it, it's all, it's already pretty, you know, every, everything there that's not, you know, utilizing space is pretty well free, right? To talk to an advisor, to go in and like participate in a program, this, that, the other. I mean, I, when I was, when I was 22, maybe, give or take, yeah, it would have been like 2011, you know, I got to go through a, one of their camp CEO things and, you know, came in, you know, in, in the like top 10 of the program and got, you know, got some grant money and, and got some good experience. And, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a miss on, do we need, do we need more programming coming from there to draw people in or do we need more people to come in? People so need more confidence. Programming? You know, yeah, that's a, that's you a, know everybody's, yeah. oh, I need an office to start. Oh, I need a million dollars to start. No, you don't. Yeah. Just, you got to start, you know, and, and you know, there's a huge value in partnership, whether it's by friends or other business associates. And you have to start to view entrepreneurial exercises as, you know, you have your tools that you work with. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you don't have a million bucks. You just have to start. Yeah. The money comes if you start solving problems. Mm -hmm. um, and I talk to people quite a bit and they're like, hey, I have this idea for a business, I, you know, but I need investment. Well, why do you need investment? Yeah. What are you talking about? where have you started oh well i have this idea i go great you know we have a great idea but you have to take that a little bit further to to prove it out mm -hmm. you know and it's uh so i don't know if it's fear or, or what it is but you know a lot of people i talk to in the area have some really brilliant ideas of how to solve problems uh but they don't take it to that next step yeah you know and i think it's just a confidence issue i think if more people knew that those resources were available or how easy it was to access them, mm -hmm. I think it would change the whole dynamic of the area, especially from a, uh, you know, 
a tech startup region. Yeah. You know, and that's something, what was his name? Sam Goldberg and Anil Mehta. Mm-hmm. Years ago, they were messing around with that idea. I don't know where it's at now, but. Yeah. Well, and ultimately, what is the infrastructure that you need for that type of thing? You just need good internet. That's legitimately what you need. You get good internet and the, you know, the ability to produce tech-based activity yeah. is good you know. internet and access to toys. Yeah. You know, uh, hack SI, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's at the small business incubator. Yep. They do all kinds of stuff with drones. No, I don't know if there's a lot of people that have, I mean, it's becoming more mainstream, yeah. but they're teaching how to program stuff with, uh, raspberry Pi. It's over my head, <laughs> but they provide the toys, mm-hmm. you know, to, to start tinkering. Yep. That's how we all learn. Well, not all of us, but we generally learn by play. Yeah. You know, and when it's fun and exciting, you kind of have endless energy towards figuring something out. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and then you just try and turn it around and, you know, execute in, in a, you know, in a profit driven world. Like, okay, cool. I've, I've made this play. Now, how do I turn it into transactions with others that lead to yeah. economy? Right. Right. <laughs> oh man. Now I've had a I've had a you know I, Jeremy Jeremy Packer, another guy that I probably should have on the show. I, I mean he he went through the you know, he won app contest after app contest each year. I'm sure he played around in Hack SI, my buddy Haberman. He's Rap Chat guy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 Rap Chat guy. Yeah. Yeah, Rap Chat guy. So, yeah. He's uh he's now so he's currently CTO for lineup media group, which has an umbrella of like nine different companies. One of those companies being, um, uh, ultimate gaming championship, which is Matt Jackson out of Ducoin, which is another dude, like just grew up playing video games here on the strip with him. And it's like that play they're doing stuff in like Las Vegas. Like, well, they're, they're doing, yeah, I, I, or were, right? and I, and yeah. I, well, and I shouldn't say, I, I'm not going to sit here and say where they're doing other stuff. They're, they're going global. Like oh. they're, they're going proper global. Right. Right. And that's all just out of here. Right. And it's not to say that, you know, Matt's got a real, you know, big, uh, big turn towards DeCoin because that's his hometown and he would like to do something similar. But the the reality is some of these smaller pockets around Carbondale in smaller towns can be their one offs and feed off of Carbondale as as that place. Well, I live in Macanda. I do most of my work from Macanda. But if I go to work. Yeah. I'm to Carbondale. Yeah. You know, if I meet somebody, I mean, recently it's been on my back porch, you know, socially distanced, of course. Yeah. But, uh, you know, historically, uh, you know, we'd come into Carbondale, meet with different business folk and relationships and to, to do business. I mean, this is where you go. Yep. Yep. So. It's the it's the space. Yeah. It's the space. Um, now, when you it where do you, where did your interest in business the the idea of you know real entrepreneurship um come from i mean is this something that you've just have you like since you were a kid i didn't know i was an entrepreneur you did not i had no idea yeah um so i met this guy so Lindsay, that's soon to be wife uh, she's been incredibly tolerant my entire our entire relationship of my thank god for my little ponies we'll get to that point later (laughs) yeah uh she has uh an uncle dr richard welke who's a incredibly fascinating guy uh he's known as the father of method engineering Uh Uh, so from a business perspective if uh, you were to type in business model generation this guy alex alsterwater developed the business model canvas basically how to how to build a business by taking or understanding what the problem is and kind of reverse engineering it to develop a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Lindsay and I first started dating, we went up to like northern Michigan to these really cool cabins, and, mm-hmm. and her whole family was there. And uh, so when I first met Dr. Welke, and he just kind of interested me and, and introduced me to different ways of thinking. So not necessarily what to think, mm-hmm. but how to think. And that was kind of a, the moment that uh, I started to, to get it from a business perspective. I was early 20s, 21, 22 years old yeah. at that time. And uh, it kind of started from there. So, you know, I, I, would, I would work a job, but I'd become disinterested really quickly. And I, I could move through the ranks. So, like, I was the youngest, um, one of the youngest managers for Home Depot at one point. I w- did uh, was part of the Eastern Great Lakes division. Mm-hmm. Hated it, and I quit. And uh, 
went into store manager. Uh, no, like I, I, I uh, Sorry, no, not in the system. A, a district manager for like a department. So I worked on um, planograms. So how things yeah. are put in bays essentially mm -hmm. and designed, and then made sure that associates were educated with the different product lines. So I had to go to all the stores in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, mm -hmm. and do that essentially. I did it for like eight months. I it was terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. But so from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, I have ADHD. Uh, I've had it since I was young. And uh, I think that probably plays a factor into both curiosity and getting really bored really quick. Mm -hmm. um, so Dr. Welke was able to, to kind of harness that for me and allow me to focus on how to arrange my thoughts mm -hmm. and how to think. And it wasn't until I was probably 25 that I was like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm doing these things that are very entrepreneurial, but I had no idea that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a formal education, so it took somebody to go, hey, what you're doing is actually this, and this is why you're doing it, and here's how you need to be better at it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that was kind of my yeah. history of how that happened. Well, I mean, that is that is indeed the, the trick. If you're doing something, but you don't know Right. You know, you know you're doing something, but you don't know what that something is. Right. A little bit of guidance goes a long way. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's an advisor currently. I mean, still to this day, mm -hmm. um, he's deeply involved, uh, and actually, he helps up, uh, a lot of this up. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the um, director of Georgia State's Entrepreneurial uh, Center. Mm -hmm. So he he's good, really good guidance. So. Yeah and help us navigate these uh, complexities, if you will. So, Relationships beyond ideas. Relationships and decision-making, which are yeah. pretty tough, especially now. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, uh, I mean, what, what, a, what have been kind of some of the roadblocks you've run into, you know, on, on the course of the project that has led you to spot that has been difficult? It's the simple things. Banking, insurance. Uh, paying people uh, so the cannabis sector and we're auxiliary like we don't touch the plant you yeah. know but our customers pay us their cannabis clients so the checks that we get say xyz cannabis company you go to the bank to uh, to cash that and they go uh are you in drugs you know it's like, <laughs> yeah. no says the banks that have laundered money for of course <laughs> drug right buyers yeah. for decades so, and decades so it's, it's it's the simple things we've got a lot of those resolved at this point or mm -hmm. semi-resolved but in the beginning, it was really tough. And, and the main industry, the industry that we serve, pardon me, still has those issues. Like um, we opened a, a bank account here locally. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to mention the bank name. Yeah. Still a good bank. <laughs> uh, but we, we made a deposit and like, hey, this is what we're doing in this industry. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll see, see how it goes. Um, and uh, they were like, we can't actually keep doing this. So they had to cancel our account and they gave us a check, you know, like with our remaining balance in it. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this check? I have to cash it somewhere, but we don't have a bank. And they're like, well, what do you mean you don't have a bank? And I'm like, oh, okay, back it up. And then we had like other like strange experiences. I had a meeting, you know, in the pursuit of trying to find banking and, um, you really don't appreciate our modern amenities uh -huh. until you don't have them. Yeah. So like going to the tax office and going like, so I, we don't have a checking account, uh, <laughs> but we made this amount of money. So here's, you know, one penny, two penny and trying to keep yeah. track of that without electron. It's terrible. But yeah, we, we had some strange experiences. Like we went to this one bank and the president of the bank was like, well, you know, we don't believe that cannabis is good. But if you gave me $15,000 in my pocket, we might consider your, and it was like, eh, I see where this is going. Yeah. yeah have a nice day. Yeah. But you remember those things. And you don't work with them anymore. You yeah. know, um, insurance was tough when we, we first tried to get insurance. They wanted like $30,000 up front. And here we are a startup with like $5. Yeah. And we go, well, what do we do? You know, and, and. So the the entire infrastructure of that industry has to be rebuilt. We think we're playing a, a role in doing that, mm -hmm. 
But, uh, you know, honestly, there's a lot of pro like we talked about, there's a lot of problems to be solved in the cannabis industry. Uh, if you can get past the what should be easy part, mm -hmm. uh, the rest is all about customer feedback and getting that feedback loop and and refight that failure cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how does this work? Oh, this didn't work. Let's try something different and, and keep it going. So yeah. it's, no, uh, and, and, you know. Consumers are almost the final oh, yeah. nut to crack in terms of any sort of, you know, business that you're developing. But turns out for every other industry, there's already an infrastructure, right? If you're starting a restaurant, if you're starting a retail store, if you're starting, you know, uh, you know a, another app, whatever it may be, right? It's like, okay, there's already infrastructure there. I can bank. I can uh, you know, set up insurance. I can, I, you know, I can set up financing. I can do X, Y, Z else that's already built out because my industry has already been legitimized. So man, let's go for it. But this is not that you're, you have to solve every other problem to get to a consumer. Right. <laughs> before you even have to solve for the consumer. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, there are no rules. Mm -hmm. You know, it's federally illegal. Yep. Uh, there's that no seems standards. Like it would be the rule, but no. Yeah, right. And there's no standard. So, like, literally every modern industry that we enjoy, there's some sort of example or analog or or standard involved with it. I mean, the, the cameras that we're talking into mm -hmm. all have electronic standards. Yep. Uh, you know, there's rules in, in you know different countries like FCC, FAA. Mm -hmm. uh, it just doesn't exist. So that's starting to happen. And there's kind of an interesting phenomenon that happens with emerging markets. And it's like, so a market will occur mm -hmm. and uh, people will start making invention in that market uh, and then problems start happening. So local ordinance actually starts setting the example early on. Mm -hmm. uh, so like right now, the hot button is odor. Cannabis odor is a big issue. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to, uh, or fears odor, you know, of uh, a cannabis facility coming into a town. Um but there's there's not a book written on it yet. So we're getting to kind of write our own rules based upon other analog industries. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, the cannabis stuff, the medical side with THC, everybody mm -hmm. thinks is so sexy. You know, you got the CBD market. Everybody's wanting mm -hmm. to grow it. There's actually a bigger opportunity for places like Southern Illinois in industrial use cannabis mm -hmm. uh, that grows like a row crop. And uh, it's not as sexy, but, you know, that's, that's fine. But the, the interesting thing here is from an agriculture perspective, cannabis can be grown kind of like corn in a row. And right now it's kind of a chicken or the egg scenario, meaning, um, you know, processors aren't going to build giant facilities to process different cannabis derivatives if the supply doesn't exist. And yeah. the supply doesn't want to plant you know, X thousands of acres if the if the processing doesn't exist. Um, you know, the uh, when people think about cannabis, they might think about, you know, fiber, making rope, but the the uses for the plant could be everything from paper pulp to, to what's called, uh, what is it, lignocellulistic material that makes black liquor, mm -hmm. uh, essentially printer ink binder. Uh, you can make biofuels out of out of it probably cheaper than current diesel prices you mm -hmm. can make seed cake for animal feed all of those things can be done off one plant all that needs to happen is somebody needs to go hey we're going to build a processing facility mm -hmm. and um kind of at a historical perspective uh there's this guy uh a.e staley mm -hmm. uh from decatur so decatur illinois is the soybean capital of the world mm -hmm. Uh, and that happened kind of in the late 1800s. And, uh, you know, I'm going to use kind of an abridged version here. Yeah, but basically absolutely. he went to farmers. You know, soybeans weren't used a ton. It was a new crop in the late 1800s. He went to farmers in the Decatur area and he was like, hey, listen, I'm going to build a processing facility. I want you to plant these. And if you do, I'm going to buy them. Sure enough, he did. And in like 1997, AE, the A.E. Staley camp Company became the world's third largest uh soybean uh processing facility mm -hmm. now we see soybeans everywhere um cannabis has the same ability to do that and and uh, frankly southern illinois is really uniquely p 
poised to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And when you say cannabis in this instance, you're kind of referring to what people would typically think of as hemp. Yes, but uh, so like the 2018 Farm Bill came around and uh, that legalized cannabis that had a, a certain amount of THC levels. Like you had to fall under a certain threshold. Is that point? Is that the point zero three? Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and that's cool. That's cool. It, it offered a loophole and, and uh, CBD is a, a really interesting molecule. Uh, it's kind of a buzzword word still is. Mm-hmm. Um but thank you, family video. No. Yeah, family video. <laughs> oh my god! Any, any and every little shop around. That, uh, yeah, that, that gets me on another whole tirade. Uh, you know, we work closely with different regulators and lawmakers, and 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 we're working with one of the standards organizations called Focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, I'll, 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 I'm going to give a plug to, to yeah, Leslie. Yeah, plug it's it, plug it the away, Foundation man. of Cannabis Unified Standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good acronym. It's right. A really good acronym. It is. It is. And uh, you know they're they're really positioned to to, to really help the industry in, in so many ways. But man, they were like finding uh, you know people would market CBD and there would be no CBD in it. You know mm-hmm. it would be like melatonin and people you know didn't know the difference. They didn't there. know the difference. You know uh, we had the vape crises uh, not too long ago. People mm-hmm. were putting uh, vitamin E acetate. As it just so happens, it like messes up your lungs pretty bad. You know there, there's there's some crazy stuff that goes on in cannabis that because there's no standards Mm -hmm. happens and it's really dangerous from a consumer perspective so but the industrial side is underused and underdeveloped right now and uh yeah like um there's a program it's called bap uh bio applicable or bio renewable uh program bio-based product Mm -hmm. manufacturing I think it's like program 9003 at this point through the USDA. Um, they offer something along the lines of $184 million to start a dem- demonstration class production facility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking cannabis and making it into paper pulp, turning it into different plasticizers. It's a huge opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, you have all the railroads that run through here, all the farms. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Another interesting thing is when you open up another cultivar, um, you can look at what's called phytoremediation. We have a lot of mine country around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it's pretty nasty. You know, one of the possible viable options is going, well, what if we plant a bunch of weed here? Yeah. Uh, and it is a hyper accumulator, so it pulls up all the lead, the cadmium, the mercury. And you could use it for other derivatives, for like um, BMW uses hemp. Mm-hmm. It's, can, it's all yep. cannabis yep. sativa. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, just call it cannabis. I just yeah, like cycle for yeah. What am I? To, who mindfully are like? I don't understand what's he mean by cannabis. Now he's talking about stuff like anyway. It's all cannabis sativa L. Yep. Period. There, there's no rudialis, no sativa, no indica. That's all marketing. It just. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey man, call call it like you see it. I have <laughs> weird pet peeves. Uh, <laughs> What, what like like uh, <laughs> like actually defining things as they are scientifically true? Yeah, yeah, like truth. You know, those are kind of important. You know, uh, so when I hear somebody go, "Hey, do you have that uh, indica?" and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" You know, and and it's because we've been taught this whole time through marketing uh-huh. that indica means it's going to make me go to sleep, or sativa means it's going to give me energy, which that that was not how that happened. Like. Uh, the whole indica sativa conversation is supposed to discuss lineage. Mm-hmm. So like F0, F1, F2, F3 generations of plants stemming from an original cultivar. Mm-hmm. But nobody actually stemming knows. From, anyway, stemming sorry. from, sorry. <laughs> what did no, I no, say? no, no, no. I know. Oh. I just Stems yeah, are bad. The, the, the play on words, stemming oh. from. I like it. No, <laughs> but nobody actually knows where that lineage came from or started. It's all kind of speculation. Like. Uh-huh. So when you talk about like physiological effect, uh, that actually has to do with what chemicals or what molecules that plant is producing mm-hmm. uh, and in what levels. So, you know, uh, feeling energetic might actually mean that it has a higher limonene content in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but there's not a lot of robust studies yet. I mean, this stuff is just now becoming state legal and still people think it's, you know, the devil's lettuce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. 
there's a lot of studies. SIU's doing a, a program, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I'm hoping that that thing really explodes because I'm a reader. I love to read. Yeah. And, and I get a lot of my information from peer reviewed articles from different universities. And mm -hmm. it's just, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, there, there's, we don't know about physiological effect. We know that we ha all have an endocannabinoid system, mm -hmm. uh, but we don't know why it affects people differently. You know, if I go to the bar and I have a drink, we know that that's calculated by ABV, alcohol, blood volume. It was ABV is uh, yeah, something alcohol, like that. It's a measurement. Alcohol by volume. Right. Blood alcohol, BAC, blood alcohol content. Something like that. Alcohol by volume. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not those. much of a drinker. So. You drink too much and, and you get inebriated and the next thing you know, you're not having a good time or a worse uh, next morning. But uh, with cannabis, we don't know. You know, the different uh, there's different physiological effects for different people. So there's all these questions that we have. We want to know why, and it makes a more educated consumer and would start to guide purchasing decisions. So if I go to the dispensary and I want to go for a hike, I don't want to necessarily look for an indica or sativa. I want mm -hmm. to find what chemical profiles best suit my uh, individualized endocannabinoid system to have that physiological effect. Mm -hmm. So it's it's back to all those problem solution formats, you know. Yeah. Is that uh, is that what you described there? Ultimately, what what Ben tried to put together with his product was that what he was trying to solve for? Yeah, uh, that's uh, Cannabinder, which I'm. It, it's still still moving through. Uh, there, there's other offerings in the marketplace right now. Leafly is trying something. It, it's, uh, in my opinion, personally, it, it's kind of ugly. Uh, there's a couple other different offerings that are trying to express uh, chemical profiles. Mm -hmm. I still like Cannabinder quite a bit as a as a as an offering. I think it's a little more robust and uh, striving for more detail on the physiological side. Now, how does how does I mean how do these different things actually do the analysis of the um, you know whatever whatever the cannabis product is right and and provide that feedback to a consumer and and to to give a quick context. Uh, on this for folks that, that are listening. Uh, the guy, the, the, it, was it both him and Jeff? Jeff, right? Is that it? I can't remember his name. I, Tom? Tom, there we go. Uh, so was it both Ben and Tom? With Cannabinder? Yeah. That, it was, they, it was Tom, I mean, They ben were both here and, at some uh, point in time. It, yeah. Students at SIU, at the SBDC, all right. that fun exactly. stuff. Exactly. So. It, it was Tom, Ben, and another guy named Lyle. Okay. So, so that, just, just to give people the idea that this particular product that we're, or this particular system that we're talking about ties back to people who, you know, ultimately made this product after having connected here in Carbondale just the same. So my bad. I'll pass it back to you. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't put water on the very expensive robot. We won't tell Boston Dynamics. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the physiological effect, Cannabinder, I think, uh, has some legs there. Uh, you know, I'm hope I'm I'm really rooting for him. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. What a, oh, there was something that I said that I wanted to come back to and talk about earlier. Now I can't. remember. You're talking about testing, like how, how does? Oh well, how how does how would how would similar products work? Like, do they just like scrape off a piece of a plant and oh. then do some sort of chemical analysis that tells people? So again, whatever? no standards. Yeah. So everything's different. Like, like literally, like it's one of the biggest problems that we're facing in the industry mm -hmm. is that if I go to company A and get tested, it might be completely different at company B. Yeah. Now, company A and B will tell you, hey, we're the best. But until there's standards in place and they're held to that standard, yep. you don't really know. Yep. Um, kind of like B octane and gasoline almost. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Imagine if uh, the octane and gas, if they were able to shop around and say which, which uh, – test they like the best ah, you know? okay yeah so that 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 happens so ba basically um you have batches or lots in cannabis so mm -hmm. medical cannabis or licensed cannabis that has high thc content um you're going to want to group it into a lot or a testing batch so recently the state of illinois uh it's like 20 pounds per lot if you will mm -hmm. and there has to be a sample taken out of that lot um and it'll run through a, a battery of tests, you know, microbial testing, pesticide testing, um, total mold and yeast uh, in different states, 
Uh, but typically they run through some form of mass spectrometry, mm -hmm. basically igniting it and seeing what chemicals, uh, what kind of the, the chemical fingerprint of the individual uh, chemicals or molecules. Mm -hmm. That's what they're looking for. So when they say, you know, THC versus THCA, CBD, though, that's being done and assessed generally by some form of mass spectrometry. And if we actually put proper standards in place over time, what we'll begin to understand through the through science is exactly what each thing that we identify through a mass spectrometer readout. Right. So what it through, actually through, does, what it actually means to the body. Right. Through so like through large data, um, consumer feedback, and understanding the measurements. So if it's, for instance, if it was like twelve percent THC. 5% CBD. I'm just making these numbers yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it had like, you know, 12% myrcene and, and X amount pinene. And, and so, and a bunch of people used it, smoked it, consumed it, whatever. And they all felt sleepy. Well, we could probably make a good assumption that that chemical profile made you sleepy. Yeah. Uh, but you don't know until you collect the data. And that might be five, six, seven, ten years out. Mm-hmm. It's new. <laughs> Stuff takes time. Stuff takes time. <laughs> I got to use a, an interesting analogy kind of towards the industry. In between 1920 and 1925, the, what we see is kind of the modern turn signal exists uh -huh. or, or that exists. That was invented. So, yeah, 1920, 1925, the turn signal was invented, the electronic one. In 1938-ish, Buick started to mass market the turn signal all, all, on all their vehicles. And then in 1960, the turn signal became a part of standard equipment by actual standards. And it wasn't until 1968 that it actually became part of federal regulation. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty long time. So yeah. you have cars, automobiles. We didn't always have speed limits. We didn't always have cars. Mm -hmm. It had to go through a, um, an, an innovation cycle. You know, and all the different features that we get to enjoy today or not enjoy. I, you know, there was a post on your website the other day uh, about people not using their turn signal, but uh, and I see it. That's uh, uh, you know. people and their feelings. I love it. Right. <laughs> so you know, technology and, and emerging markets kind of follow this kind of unique phenomena, and, and and we're seeing it in real time here. Mm -hmm. You know, this is our generations, if you will, emerging market, just like you know the computer people. You know, from the '60s all the way to the '80s and '90s, mm -hmm. and and uh, to current. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to think about. And it's cool to think about having an opportunity to, to capitalize on it here and just do whatever we can to get our own little slice of the pie. I think it has a good chance of doing it. Yeah. You know, uh, I, th I mean, I, I personally would always like to see things happen faster. Mm -hmm. but that's not always the reality. I like to see, I, I, me personally, I'm big on things happening in stable format, right? Yeah, I'd like them to happen in a reasonable timeline. Right. Right. But you know, when when people when people make demands or asks of the society around them, and they go, "Why hasn't this happened in three months or six months or a year or whatever?" It's like because this type of stuff takes just marching on and working. It takes time and, and a lot of people working together and disagreeing, mm -hmm. and then coming together to to make a really good, uh, stable. As yep. you would say, format to move forward on. How do we agree? How do you and I agree when we disagree? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. when we identify the we identify the things that we know can work best out of right. everything that's there. My Little Ponies. That's what I wanted to come back to. Oh God, okay. that's what I that's what I missed out on. You... I'm a My Little Pony supporter. I don't collect them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so to, to be to, to clarify that it is Lindsay that is the. She is a huge collector of vintage My Little Ponies. Uh, she has a huge collection, um, and she also does, like, art with the ponies, like, from restoration to mm -hmm. also, like, original art with them. She sells them all over the world. Um, you know, it's another niche market. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't think of My Little Ponies, but uh, there are several thousand people globally that are just in love with those things. And yeah. so... Um, you know, generally once, twice, sometimes three times a year, we would go to like cons, you know, like kind of the equivalent of going to a baseball card convention. Yeah. And uh, she's like a celebrity. 
in in that that world, you know, like everybody. She, so she's she's legitimately like a. Oh, she's, a, she's a pony celebrity, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> That's wild, man. Yeah. I mean, congratulations to her on picking up that instead of Beanie Babies because it would have been completely bust if she had put all her eggs in the Beanie Baby basket. Right, right, <laughs> right, yeah. I think uh, you picked those up for like, a, like I don't even think they're uh, sold per unit. You can like buy a hammock full of them now you know yeah it's it's bad it's bad i had um, again same same buddy that's moving back to town going through his house and uh you know has, has all these old beanie babies that his parents got him years and years ago when he's kid and it's like ah cool we're living in a society where uh we gave uh control to the people that thought that uh beanie babies were the right investment <laughs> my mom collect like bought a bunch of beanie babies and was like look these are going to be worth millions when you get older and i'm like okay what should i do with them you know she kept them and then furbies she i remember furbies, yeah. when furby first came out which is you know a terrifying mongoy uh um thing i remember her waking me up at some god-awful hour you know i was young and having to stand in front of kb toys so she could use me as an extra body to purchase the <laughs> limit two uh-huh. you know and and I still have that Furby. still works. I'm not allowed to put the batteries in it because it freaks everybody out and the dogs hate it, but uh, it's still around. Yeah. <laughs> Can't have the Furby on. That'll scare the dogs. But sure enough, we can bring in our robot dog. That'll make They hate it. Go. Oh, God, I'm sure. They hate it. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to not bring it around them. Uh-huh. Um, the, the cats don't care. You know, yeah. they're they're whatever about it. Uh, the sheep are a bit concerned about it. You know, I haven't chased them with it yet or tried to herd them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be a thing to do today. How fast does that thing go? This one's about 3.4 miles an hour. Okay. Is that fast enough to herd sheep? <laughs> we're going to find out. Yeah, we're going to find <laughs> out. Uh, you know, Boston Dynamics is doing some really, I mean, they do really groundbreaking work in, yeah. in, in robotics, obviously. I want to say they're, um, uh, I don't know the official name of the program, but it, you can look up Cheetah, comma, Boston Dynamics. That yeah. It went 28 miles an hour on a treadmill, um, which is incredibly fast. Yeah. Uh, then they have Atlas, which I, I'm, I, I really want to get my hands on at some point to see what, what that application will be in our field. Um, it's a biped, and... Um, you know, some, sometimes robotics can be truly terrifying. Mm-hmm. You can you can kind of see a future glimpse of like the Terminator in it. You know, it's doing backflips and, and somersaults, mm-hmm. and it's some incredible stuff. I mean, it's far away from being you know what we might uh, imagine as AI or or sentient and in, in, in being that, that's way far far away. I'm sure, but uh, just from a how a machine takes on uh, living characteristics you know, because it's more efficient, you know? Do you know, do you have any clue why Boston Dynamics is specifically like a Boston-based company? Like, do you have, you have you dug into the background on, on them and everything? I, I've always been impressed by their ability to manage their public profile with just a, a slow drip of information when they feel like it. Like, Boston Dynamics is known. Because of their products, but because of their they were an R and D. So, messaging. like the the CEO just came out with an interview, and I don't know if he's the original CEO, mm-hmm. but it's the current one. You know, Dawson Dynamics was, you know, primarily an R and D company, mm-hmm. and um, you know, going back from the early days, if I recall properly, like DARPA was one of their original like supporters. Like yeah. they they won a DARPA contest, and that kind of helped propel, you know, that company forward. Right now, it's owned by Soft. Part partially or in full by SoftBank. Um, is SoftBank the same one that dumped all the money into WeWork, or is that? A yeah, they, they've made okay. some brilliant investments and some terrible <laughs> really investments. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cool. Thanks to them. For don't don't get me started on investments and stu- stupidity. <laughs> yeah, no, we haven't there even was touched a, on. Yeah, that yeah, part of yeah. Your life. Again, my pet peeves. Uh, <laughs> God, as a startup, I get hugely frustrated of the. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, fuck Shit yeah. that I see. A <laughs> uh, couple years back, there was a, a novel invention that was essentially a device 
that squeezed pouches to make uh, juice. Oh yeah, that was literally only just a pouch squeezer. Yeah, that was it. There was no, no. proper innervation. And they wanted to run it like on a subscription model. And they raised, I want to say, eight or eighty million dollars. I don't even remember yeah. anybody that gave them a Juicero. dollar. Juicero. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, what the heck? I mean, <laughs> that's the type of thing where people have thought they solved for the consumer first, but didn't solve for anything else on the back end. Right. Like they didn't actually solve for a technological issue. No. Right. They didn't solve for a systems issue in terms of, you know, the, the actual system of business that goes in around an organization. They just solved for, oh, we can get a customer to buy this and press a button and there, there, do this, a, but then, ah, the mask is off and all of a sudden. In my opinion, there's a massive issue with people starting business just to get investment. Yeah. That's their intent. That's it. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they, they actually celebrate raising additional funds. Well, yeah. when you raise money, you, you have a fiduciary responsibility to those investors. Yeah. They don't care. They, they, what they're doing is they're not creating revenue. They're not actually solving any problems. Therefore, any money they make is, is a direct reflection of the investment that they get to continue their operations. Mm -hmm. They don't solve problems. There are rare instances that, you know, that model works, but it, Maybe it's... Maybe an Uber model. I mean, is yeah. that a reason? I mean, yes, they've actually got tech backing, though. They had tech you know, they, backing, they, and they, they, you know, they, uh, I think that they were really tru truly trying to solve a problem. But, mm -hmm. like, they're, they're, we were talking earlier kind of about innovation and people wanting not to do things because of lack of money or resources. Yeah. Uh, there are literally people out there where their goal is if they want to start a business, it's just because they can raise money mm -hmm. and it's just a project and yeah. they don't there's there's no real end goal for it mm -hmm. and we see it a lot thanos was one of them yeah they didn't have anything we could the whole reference time. another person business or two that's coming to the top of mind right now but oh yeah they know who they are they know oh <laughs> uh, man no i mean it's, you know, and, I, and i've got it's it's interesting after you know, 2014, so nearly, after nearly seven years of having an incorporated business and in, in, in brand advocacy group, it's like, you know, all it, you know, all it's been for six and a half, nearly seven years is just me fiddling around with people's Facebook pages and like that's been what it is, but it's always been in place to like be something else, mm -hmm. right? To grow into something else. And sure, it's taken seven years to get to another point. But it was only there, only as a, you know, as that thing to be there until step it became. One, step two, step yeah, three. And, yeah. and here we are on, you know, I, I would say this is nearing step. I would say this is probably like closing in on step two, like starting the podcast and putting together some of the other projects. But yeah, yeah, do whatever you got to do, man. Uh, yeah, whoa, buddy. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Not on camera, eh? <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> was that 30 30 percent i need to save some battery to some walk it back out of the car it's it's about 75 pounds and not exactly pleasant to carry yeah so i, I hear that and i still yeah. i still want to just see it walk up and down the street once i, I you know maybe we can anywho. Yeah. so the <laughs> yeah i mean this is this is legit like getting into the multimedia space and, and producing stuff right we've you know i've, I've produced a, a, several different pieces of media long form uh outside of this multi-camera and and putting together production crews like that's where ultimately i want it to to be and it's like that's the type of thing where you just do it right like i've never you know nobody i've never asked I think that's for money so i can grow this business so i can hire people so i can take on more responsibility and blah 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 it's like take it a bite at a time and right just how to eat an elephant yeah one yep. bite at a time. Because <laughs> nobody's tired of hearing that phrase. We were talking about that this morning. Actually, Dr. Welk and I, we were uh, talking about uh, our company's existential crisis of what do we do and what problems do we solve? Because it's pretty broad, yeah. you know, what we're doing. And, and, you know, we definitely have a customer, but the problems that we're solving uh, and our the vision of where we want to go, you know, we're taking those steps. And it's like, well, how do we describe that? I'm like, well, 
it doesn't exist. Like there's not examples of it yet, so we're kind of creating it. So yeah. we're 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 trying to figure out what flavor Kool Aid we are right well, and now. Th- and this is where you can take a pass if you don't want to divulge too much information. But what specifically are you doing? Right. Oh, we've talked about being in the cannabis industry yeah. and having spot to do stuff in the cannabis industry, but we haven't said specifically so, what it is that you do we, in the cannabis we, industry. We are a uh, compliance company, essentially a, mm-hmm. a problem solving compliance company. So in cannabis, um, mold and bacteria and pesticide use is a real problem. So the, the cannabis sector medically, you know, recreational speaking has a very limited tool set of what they can use. So in, in typical agriculture, let's say for a tomato, uh, if you have a mold issue, you can use something called mycobutyl fungicide, and um, it, it gets rid of powdery mildew, botrytis, and other type of uh, fungal issues in tomato production. Mm-hmm. And you can wash it off with soap and water. It's not a big deal. It doesn't pose a, a health risk to humans. But when they use that type of stuff on cannabis, when you combust it, because we don't smoke our tomato. Yeah. Maybe I don't. You don't smoke your tomato. Maybe right? some people are smoking the tomato, but it's, I would. I would. It's do, like that Simpsons episode. Tomacco. Sorry. I, <laughs> I would discourage people from smoking a tomato if it had mycobutyl fungicide on it because it turns into hydrogen cyanide gas. Mm-hmm. So you know, people were spraying this stuff on and solving one problem, but creating huge consumer health and safety concerns along the way. Mm-hmm. So. Arrington, I have a background in um, risk management and in econometric modeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said we, we, we have to identify what's the causality. Well, what's the causality of, of noncompliance? Well, it's mold. Why are they putting pesticides on plants? Well, because they have mold. So it kind of came all back to that. So we partnered with a, a, an organization uh, out of uh, California that allowed us to detect mold and bacteria mm-hmm. uh, in, in real time in the air. And then we created, we partnered with another company uh, that allowed us to destroy the mold and bacteria without leaving residues that was compliant to using cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, what we did was we created, or at, we're a we're an aggregator, if you will. So we're a platform uh, that is a on the long chain of value, and as an aggregator is the definition. And uh, we created what we called the EDIS, which is the EcoBudge Digital Immune System. Mm-hmm. So it's able to detect pathogens in the air, and the system reacts to terminate that. And that was the first step, uh, kind of the problems that we were solving. Because uh, of cannabis industry, if, if the plant has mold on it or yeast or bacteria, it doesn't pass testing. And uh, they can't sell the product. So we solved that problem. If it has pesticides, they can't sell the product. So we solved that problem. The next step of what we're doing currently is all the data that we're compiling, we're actually working in the insurance sector as well mm-hmm. in order to actually insure that product. And if you want to solve a problem fully, not one solution is the answer. Yeah. Because time and probability, shit happens, if you will, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the way you combat that is through insurance. It's just kind of like, Auto insurance, you know, you might not mean to swat a spider and, you know, let your foot off the gas and back up and (laughs) hit your neighbor's and hit your neighbor's house house. with your car. It was an accident. So yeah, that's totally a that's totally a, you know, um, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Passive aggressive. No, 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 no. no. When (laughs) when something is theoretical, uh, it's uh, a hypothetical, hypothetical, Yeah, completely hypothetical hypothetical situation. situation. You know, we have auto insurance, we have home insurance, we don't plan on, uh, you know, are, are wrecking our cars or getting into an accident or having a house fire, but they happen. Yeah. The way we solve for those one-off instances is through insurance. Yeah. So our, our pathway is more of a, an insure tech pathway where, yes, we are solving these problems extraordinarily effectively, mm-hmm. but what's the end goal? Well, the end goal is to, to try to solve a problem Fully, yeah. which you have to take into account the statistical probability of something happen. We could have the best, most effective systems in the world, but there's always going to be one-off instances where we might have a problem. The way we have to solve for those is assess the value of that problem being solved and ensure it. Yep. So that's where we are now. That's brilliant. Yeah. 
I love it. I mean, and it's it's such a complex thing that you're able to boil down into a pretty <laughs> digestible. It's dynamic, but but that's the point. Like, so if we're able to solve these problems, the the when they're installed and everything's working properly, they really forget about the problem because it's not in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. That's where we want to be. And then Spot facilitates um, sensors are really, really expensive. Uh-huh. So if you need hundreds of sensors, uh, we can. what we're currently trying to figure out is how do we take hundreds of sensors, condense it down to one or two, and mobilize it. Mm-hmm. And so it functions as many. That's the purpose of this guy. It's exciting stuff, man. Yeah. And it's here. It is. It's it's here. It's here. <laughs> like it's it's you, not it's not theoretical. It's not conversational. It's not concept right. stages. It is. Well, here. you you want to go for a walk and maybe record it? We can add. Uh, add I, some I, stuff I, I may I may do just a separate video altogether. That's just like this thing walking <laughs> down the street and walking into a bar or something and 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 play along with it is kind of like a little a little fun. But we'll we'll do we'll do something cool with it. I think that's uh, I think that's a really good point to. To jump off, uh, to jump off on, uh, Kyle. I appreciate the time, man. This is, I think people are gonna love this. <laughs> we'll like, see. like yeah. it's you know, I you know, this is just. This show's all about interesting people and the interesting stuff in their lives, and it's about as interesting as it gets right now. <laughs> um, thank you all for joining. Uh, it's been episode seven uh, again. My guest Kyle R L Baker and uh, his new puppy Spot. Uh, I don't know. Let's try out a new, uh, let's try out a new exit line and see if it sticks. Uh, have a good one, whatever that one may be. See you folks.